is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. Booster shots are coming soon, at least for one group of people. Dr. Fauci says they'll be recommended for those with weakened immune systems. A famous hair metal rocker shares his scary COVID story with us and how he's glad he's vaccinated. We'll look into how the pandemic has impacted people's shopping habits and attitudes about certain companies. But we start with booster shots. Dr. Lynn Goldman is a pediatrician, epidemiologist, and dean of the Milken Institute School of Public Health at George Washington University. Doctor, why is it important for immunocompromised people to get these boosters? Well, these are people that many of us feel need booster shots today, and that it's very urgent to make them officially available. In fact, in some cases, their doctors are already giving them booster shots. These are people who are immunocompromised, and for that reason, um, may not have had as vigorous enough a response to the first series of vaccinations that they need to have to be fully protected from COVID. And therefore, today, probably need those boosters. So it, it is an, it's an urgent situation. Uh, that is why the FDA is giving an emergency authorization for it. I'm pretty sure that the CDC will then follow and make this as an explicit recommendation. But I should emphasize that even today, some doctors are already giving their immunized, immunocompromised patients um, booster shots because of this problem. And what kind of patients are we talking about? Because this just doesn't operate on a sliding scale of you being a little bit older than, than some other people. No, we're not talking about just a little bit um, older. Or We're talking about people who are immunocompromised, maybe because they're being treated with um, drugs to prevent rejection of a transplant. If you get a transplant, um, you are sometimes given immunosuppressive medication that helps you keep your kidney. Um, it could be people who were born immunocompromised. They're people who are born, um, you can remember the, the bubble baby story, people who do not have a full immune system even at birth. It could be people who have other reasons um, um, in terms of, of, of cancer and chemotherapy or, or other pretty serious medical conditions. Um, by and large, the people who know that they that they have these conditions, their physicians are certainly aware of it. What is the uh, evidence in favor of a, a booster for those whose uh, immune system is compromised? Uh, I mean, might there be those who don't need a booster? And on the other hand, might there be those who need not three, but maybe four shots? That is a really good question. And the basis is that there is evidence that people who are immunocompromised don't have very high levels of immunity. You know, when you check the blood, when you look at the antibodies and when you look at their cellular immunity. Um, however, it's not true 100% of the time. Some of those individuals have launched an immune response and probably don't really need the booster shot, but we don't currently have available to us great uh, diagnostic tools for being able to say you had that strong response and somebody else did not. And so I, I think, you know, in, in, in wanting to exercise due caution and, and be protective of all of those who are immunocompromised, I'm pretty sure that the recommendation will be that they all receive a booster. Now, let's say I am 70, 75, and I'm clamoring for a shot because I'm worried about breakthrough cases or I'm worried about Delta or I'm worried about immunity waning, but I'm healthy. So when do I know if I'm going to need one? 
Well, right now we don't have evidence that healthy 75 year olds are going to need booster shots today. Will we need booster shots in the future? Probably we will, because for most immunizations over time, there is a decline in the immunity that's created. And it's possible that that will be different for people who are older than those who are younger. The the problem is we just don't know yet. We've only been getting people these vaccines, uh, you know, really for more than a year if you count the clinical trials. But when you look at at the population level dosing with these vaccines, it it hasn't even been a year. And so we don't have enough experience yet to know exactly when we're going to reach that point where we need to do boosters for the others. I think the good thing for all of us, though, is that by moving forward with this for those who are immunocompromised, that helps to kind of set in, in place a process whereby as others need to be added to that list, it'll be easier and easier to do that. Dr. Lynn Goldman, pediatrician, epidemiologist, dean of the Milken Institute School of Public Health, George Washington University. If you remember the hair metal era, you're probably familiar with Sebastian Bach. He was the lead singer for Skid Row. He then went on to become a Broadway TV and film actor. He had a COVID scare, but he credits being vaccinated for getting back into action. He's ready to tour again next month, maybe. Sebastian with us now. Before we get to your story, uh, AEG requiring everybody to be vaccinated to go to their concerts, the venues. Uh, Coachella is on the list. So we can assume you're, uh, you're supportive of that. Well, absolutely. Like, I'll take it a step further. I I think every American should be mandated to be vaccinated. Like, there's no reason why not to, unless you have a pre-existing health situation where you can't get it. But other than that, the only way we're ever going to maybe get back to normal is by doing that. Like, even if everybody did do that, who, who knows what it would be like. But there's no way we can get back to quote unquote normal uh, if if people aren't all going to get in this together. And, uh, you know, there, there's no politics in, in uh, health or medicine. It's all everybody's in it together. Like everybody gets sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all experienced this, right? Um, we know? were talking a little bit before you came on and, and, and about Coachella and outside concerts. And then we thought, OK, well, what about inside and, and I imagine you feel uh, pretty strongly about playing to a crowd in a smaller place because even a smaller show could be hundreds of people and you're all packed in together. So that's when you really want to have that extra layer of security. For sure. But also even other than that is for me, airports are are just as bad as a gig because you you can practice social distancing um in public but how do you do that on a plane where you're sitting right next to who knows there's no uh vaccine uh thing there i'm just speaking from experience because i was fully vaccinated and then when everything uh started going in a positive direction you know in april or may or whatever uh, we all started booking shows and i have a ton of shows coming up So I just did the first two of them, uh, you know, two weeks ago. One was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. One was in uh, Beaver Dam, Kentucky. That was an outside one. And I came back uh, from that. And the day after I got home, I had a fever and I tested positive for COVID. And I'm trying to go through my brain and say, where did I get this? Because I wore masks everywhere. I don't, I'm so 
the mask guy. I love the mask. I love it. Because nobody can see it's me walking around. It's like the best thing ever. It's like, but then they hear my voice and they go, dude, is that you? And I'm like, oh my God. So how, how are you, how are you feeling now? You. Yeah, how are you feeling now? Are you over it? I feel 100%. And that's the message that I want the fans or anybody listening to this knows is that because I was vaccinated, I didn't have to go to the hospital. My, my symptoms were only that I had a fever for like two days. That was it. And then, um, and then I've quarantined and, and um, I, I still am doing that over an abundance of caution. But the doctor says that uh, if you quarantine for 10 days, then you're, Numbers are low enough where you're not going to infect anyone else. But they also say the science changes day to day, to day which is also so confusing because I don't know what to do now. Like, I don't, as a musician, yeah. I don't know whether it's the right thing. The show must go on. I don't know whether that still holds true. Yeah. And what's that kind of thought process like as you as you move forward? I mean, do you want your shows to be vaccine shows? Makes everybody Absolutely. feel better? Yes. I'm sorry, Eric Clapton. You can go do your thing. I'm going to do mine. <laughs> <laughs> but but are, are you giving some thought, though? Because you sound equivocal. Are you giving some thought to canceling your forthcoming shows? I am not a doctor and I don't pretend to be a doctor and I can't stand people that do. I, I, I listen to the science, but everything is confusing because like, I mean, everybody says that the vaccine has a, like a, 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 a effectivity rate of like after six months, it starts to wane. Everybody is on the six month mark now, right? Like if you got it when I did, so for me, we need a booster shot if we're all going to be hanging out together or something uh, since, you but, know. But, I, but Sebastian, it's really important because you raised that point yourself. It's really important, I think, for people who are listening to you and, and your experience that you don't consider the vaccine a failure for you, right? Because it kept you out of the hospital. It kept you from getting seriously ill. I mean, you sound pretty good now. So you consider the vaccine to have worked, right? Well, yeah, I, I, I looked up, you know, specifically, what does the vaccine do? And it says that it concentrates whatever outbreak you're having to the upper respiratory um, tract of your, of your, of like, uh, you know, it's not deep, it keeps it out of, out of your lungs, your, your, you know, deep down in your lungs. That's how I make my living is singing my lungs out and running around the stage and, being aerobically fit and everything I read about COVID is that it attacks the lungs and makes it hard to breathe. And I go, are you kidding me? Like you try to sing <laughs> yeah. in the car and then, Oh, let's make it harder. Yeah, to breathe. Let's make it even yeah. worse for you. No, there's no way. <laughs> so Thank God for the vaccine. Thank you. Thank you. I will be screaming my lungs out. Like, because they're very healthy. Good for you. <laughs> Great. Good Sebastian you. Bach. It's <laughs> me with Skid Row, actor, Broadway, TV, and film. Sebastian, glad you're doing better. Thanks for talking to us. Coming up after this short break, some companies are becoming more popular than ever during the pandemic. The pandemic is creating winners and losers in the retail world. 
people's attitudes, changing about companies they once liked and once disliked. The data intelligence company Morning Consult has released a new report about this. KYW's Matt Leon with Joanna Piacenza, head of industry intelligence at Morning Consult, who wrote the report, and she breaks it all down. So we've been measuring trust at Morning Consult kind of all year in a few different key ways. Um, We launched kind of a global landscape report on trust back in the spring. And then we've been doing these kind of industry deep dives into what creates consumer trust, what fosters it and what breaks it. Just because we know that trust is such an important metric for a lot of consumer facing brands. And it really does vary um, industry by industry. So we wanted to release this retail one kind of ahead of back to school season to look at how retailers are building trust with consumers online. Um, and also just looking at how folks shopping habits have changed over the last 15, 16 months. To the point of shopping habits, uh, no surprise that we have seen a significant accelerate acceleration of online shopping as a result of the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. You know, as we were talking about before, um, the pandemic really did just accelerate some of the trends that were out there. And our data truly shows that before the pandemic, 13% of U.S. respondents said that they did most or all of their shopping online. Um, that's nearly doubled. Now it sits at 24%. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting is that we went into the field on this survey uh, just last month. And last month, things were open. Stores were opening back up. You could stop by Target. You could stop by Best Buy. You could stop by all these places. But what's interesting to me is it it seems as if these habits have stuck. These habits that we developed during the pandemic um, have really, really kind of carried on even as places have opened up. Digging into your data, is there a generation or a group where the shift to online has been the the greatest? There has. And I'm, I'm actually quite excited about this because I never get to talk about Gen X. No one talks about Gen X. It's the, it's the overlooked generation. There's so much, you know, conversation about millennials and Gen Z. Um, but it's Gen X. So according to our de- definition, it's those born between 1965 and 1980. They saw the most movement in their online shopping behaviors. They doubled the 11% who said they did most of all, most or all of their shopping online before the pandemic to 22% today. Now, keep in mind, 22% is still a lot smaller than the 34% of millennials who said that they now do most or all of their shopping online. But it's still really notable to look at those groups who who had educational barriers or safety barriers to doing more online shopping. And the pandemic really forced people to kind of knock those barriers down. Was there a group, a generation where there was little movement that either they still went to stores or they had already been high online? You know, not really. Even respondents who live in more rural areas were able to look at urban, suburban, and rural respondents. And, you know, a majority of rural respondents still are going in-store. 60% um, said they're still going in-store for most of their shopping. But 20% of rural respondents said that they're going online to shop. And that's a that's an eight percentage point increase than pre-pandemic numbers. 
One of the things I was really interested is we talk about the shift to online and that trend accelerating. Still about a third of consumers say they don't trust retailers that don't have a physical store. I find that fascinating. Yeah, one of the cool things we were able to do with this survey is look at retailers that have just a physical store, uh, retailers that have a physical store and an online presence, and retailers that just have an online presence. And trust is is pretty high for kind of those first two buckets I mentioned, right? Retailers that have a physical store, retailers that have both. But trust is a little bit more iffy for retailers with just an online presence. And I think that really speaks to kind of our relationship with digital. We still like going into stores and touching the products that we want to buy. We're still used to that. There are only kind of so many pre-pandemic habits that we can shake or break. And so I still think that there is that, that desire to to go into a store and because of that, you trust that retailer more. So yes, 34% said um, they have trouble trusting a retailer that just has an online presence. Would that include Amazon? Oh, wow. I mean, such a great question. I feel like Amazon kind of lives in a lives in an orb of its own, right? There should be an, an entire report on Amazon. I should probably write one soon. Um, Amazon's a little bit different. You know, it was one of the most trusted brands. And even though for most Americans, it just has an online presence, you know, I'm thinking of the small storefronts that Amazon has opened across the country. Um, it's just, they trust that, that retailer so much. And I think there's a couple key reasons why. One of our trust breakers in the survey was not offering money back guarantees. And that's something that Amazon just understood about its consumer. Um, if they're going to buy products online, they have worked really hard to make that delivery and return process as easy as possible. That partnership with UPS where you can walk into any UPS store and hand them an Amazon good, that kind of helps build trust with those consumers with an online-only retailer. To the point of the offering money back, offering returns and stuff, when you're talking about trust, and I'll get into the specifics of the most trusted brands in a second, what are some other things people are looking for in companies or in brands they trust? You know, protecting user data is up there for almost every report that we've written about trust. Um, and I think four or five years ago, that wouldn't necessarily be the case, especially with this shift to more online shopping as we spend more and more of our lives online. There's more of an awareness for what, where is my data going? Um, what are consumer-facing brands and companies, what are they doing with it? Um, so protecting user data was a top trust driver for consumers who are looking to shop online. And we saw that in previous reports, such as financial services and travel and hospitality. So my kind of best guidance for brands who, um, you know, are looking to kind of capture more consumers, really, really start investing in that software to protect that user data. Now, when it comes to the brands that people trust most, um, I found it fascinating at first, but then when I reversed engineered it, it made a ton of sense. 
if you're running a home improvement slash hardware store and you're not on this list, you're really doing something wrong because it's littered <laughs> with Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace Hardware are among the top five. And I found that fact. I, I raised my eyebrow at that. But then I thought <laughs> about the last year and a half. People have really gotten into gardening. People are fixing up their house. People have had to, you know, redo a room to turn it into an office. So these are places they've had multiple contacts and probably have had to return stuff. And if these companies have answered the bell, I would imagine that trust is really accelerated. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're answering, you're answering your own question for me and I appreciate it. <laughs> So remember this, folks were sitting at home for long periods of time in 2020, right? Staring at those home improvement projects they have been putting off for months um, or wanting to kind of start gardening or doing these outdoor leisure activities. Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace Hardware, they were able to provide those goods. We saw that kind of in those brands' earnings reports earlier this year. Home Depot easily beat estimates, so did Lowe's. But I think it's important to remember here that these home improvement brands, they were boosted by the pandemic. You know, I would say that they're uh, that uh, they benefited overall from this pandemic in terms of consumers spending money at their stores, but they're not necessarily at the top because of it. They've spent years successfully building trust in some of the key drivers that we tested in this report. If you got the Moderna vaccine, you might have more protection against the Delta variant. A Mayo Clinic study that is yet to be peer-reviewed found the Moderna vaccine is 76% effective against infection from Delta compared to Pfizer, which was 42% effective against infection. The study authors do stress that the vaccines are still highly effective against severe disease from Delta. So why is Moderna more effective? One researcher says it has a greater amount of messenger RNA than the Pfizer vaccine. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.